Welcome to the Transform Sales Podcast, where forward-thinking business leaders come to share their experiences and ideas, learn from each other, and amplify their results together. Hey guys, what's up? I'm your writer here with the Transform Sales Podcast, going live with Colin Stewart, founder, leader, Predictable Revenue. What's up, man? How are you? I'm good, man. How you doing? Doing good, man. I remember, I remember it was five years ago I think we met. I was driving in Boston during Inbound when I got the opportunity to meet with you, and I think you're your you're co-founder at the time. Or your partner at the time, um, mm-hmm. and full circle four years later, now we're live trying to help people. Love it. Small, small world. Yeah, man. Good to see you again, and thanks for having me on the show, dude. My pleasure. My pleasure. So, so anybody who's listening to this podcast, typically we have people who are looking to outsource, have done it before, have tried, failed, or they're currently doing it, or they're thinking about doing an SDR team. The idea here is literally just to talk about the mistakes, right? Because we kind of have this whole feeling that. People can learn more from the mistakes and the good stuff, which is usually true, right? But uh, sometimes uncomfortable to talk about. So I'm going to pick your brain about the mistakes that buyers make in order for them to not make those mistakes again. That's my goal, right? Uh, but before That's I get into me. that, we'd love to know a little bit about yourself. Uh, you know, you know, how did you get into this lovely business of outsourced sales? Like, what made you wake up one day and decide that you were going to be building millions of dollars of valuations for other companies? Um, tell us the story. Spent 10 years in sales, uh, had a love-hate relationship with Salesforce, thought I'd build a CRM system. I copy-pasted some code from online, managed to get one. It was like, what was it called? Fat-free CRM. It was an open source review on Rails project. I got one customer up and running, just kind of side of our desk. And that kind of built the first 1500 bucks a month of recurring revenue. And I really wanted to solve the problem of at the time, CRM systems weren't tools for salespeople. They weren't sales productivity tools. They were management reporting dashboards. And so I really wanted to say, solve the sales productivity problem. What we ended up building eventually was Carb.io. It was very similar to Sales Loft and Outreach. We, I think we had really strong product market fit. I just fucked up the engineering decision-making. Uh, not the fault of our engineers either. They kept, kept coming to me saying, hey, we should rebuild, we should refactor. We built the MVP, but the MVP won't scale. And I didn't understand what those words meant mm-hmm. at the time. I mean, I, I heard the words, but I didn't really truly get it or the long-term impact. And so eventually it just got, it was, it took us way too long to push features. And I mean, we shut down our last customer last year and it was a painful experience because I think they were uh, they loved it. They, the last user like cried when we shut it down, which was really, that meant a lot to me. I shed a little tear as well, but it was, they were paying us a thousand bucks a month and it was costing us $4,500 in AWS bills just to serve this one customer. So that's how I kind of got into this. Uh, in 2014, I met Aaron. We ended up merging the two businesses together. So technically I'm the founder or CEO of this company, um, but we merged in 2014 with Aaron and Predictable Revenue. Um, and uh, yeah, built Carb. Carb didn't work ended up building the services business along the way. Now we help companies build outbound teams. Either we build them ourselves or we uh, coach them on, teach them, show them all of our secrets. Awesome. I think that journey is, I think it's, I appreciate your honesty and your transparency, right? I think a lot of people are not admit that a lot of people are not comfortable to admit their failures, but, but everything we've ever learned is from our failures. I wouldn't be here if I didn't get fired from, from NetSuite, right? Um, mm-hmm. Which I'm glad I did. So I appreciate you sharing that. And the cool part is, We'll probably get to it later, but I'm sure a lot of your customers are SaaS, and I'm, I'm sure you have so much information uh, about products and, and just MVP for anybody listening. That that stands for minimal viable product, right? Mm-hmm. And I, I, you know, I think Colin probably built something advanced, and um, you know, I wouldn't say complex, probably not complex, but just 
advanced, right? At, at the end of the day, and it's just a concept that building something simple to test the market could be a good path. But we'll leave that for another conversation. You have probably seen hundreds of thousands of sales calls with people who wanted to hire critical revenue, right? And you probably worked with hundreds of customers too. So I just wanted to pick your brain there. Uh, any kind of and the idea here, right? Like when I ask for mistakes, it's not a mistake that makes it harder for you to con convert, right? We're talking mistakes that that lead to uh, a buyer potentially hiring uh, an agency that's not the right fit, um, and then also leading to unhappy uh, results. So I'll just start off. Anything in particular come to mind when it's like a common mistake that buyers make when trying to find an agency? I mean, not not hiring us in the first place is the cocky answer. Something wrong with that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I'm kidding. If you're not confident um, in this business, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think there's there's a couple. I, I think there's probably two big ones that come to mind when you when you think about or like when I think about like mistakes made and mistakes that I've seen. Um, the first one comes down to product market fit, just something I have very little control of. I I've had a really interesting. I mean, if you think about, I built Carb. I did probably over a thousand customer development interviews with sales leaders a pretty good idea of what the role of a sales, and I was a salesperson and sales leader. So I have a pretty good understanding of the kind of persona and what the customer development process looks like. We also went zero to 60 K at the recurring revenue with carb in like eight weeks. That's so carb, carb.io. It's dead now. It forwards back to PR.com. But for any of those, like we had a few thousand users, people really, I think people seem to really enjoy it. We had a couple of unique things about it, but today this isn't about carb. The context is important though, because I know what it's like to build a services business. I know what it's like to have product market fit with the services business. And I have felt with that hyper growth, lightning in a bottle feeling of product market fit feels like with carb.io, like zero to 60 K in like eight weeks was just in USD. That was crazy, crazy Big growth. Deal. Yeah. Um, and so I, I have an idea of what that early product market fit feels like. And a lot of the conversations I'm having, I think there's a sometimes, and this is not, I can't cat like blanket statement, all customers. And I do actually think the conversations are a lot better now than they were say a couple of years ago or even a year ago. Um, but just the lacking of, uh, I would say customer development of the founders getting out and getting out of the building and talking to users and, Specifically, when I say talking to users, I mean doing real customer development interviews. And a real customer development interview, in my eyes, is not one where you sit down and you're like, hey, look at my designs. This is what I did when I built the CRM system. I was like, look what I built. Isn't this mm. cool? I think you would really like this. And they're like, yeah, 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 cool. That looks really great. You're really smart. Thank you. But it's sort of like that line from Never Split the Difference where they're like, yeah, you're right, you're right, you're right, means basically F off. But when you're saying that's right, like oh you've you've nailed it and that's a real real yes and when i was just showing people like hey this is what we built and they're saying hey cool that's awesome they they wasn't really getting feedback a real customer development is like a, an interview is a day in the life interview where you sit down with no and you tell them nothing about what it is that you're working on other than maybe the space and say you kind of set the context by asking them hey what do you start your day what tools do you use who do you report to kpis you want to understand their job description their goals for the year goals for the quarter the specific progress they're trying to make then it leads to the magic question if i could solve any problem for you related to the space what would it be and then you kind of ask a few and ideally what you're trying to solve is top of mind and then you follow that up with two other magic questions i'm stealing these from two different people two different schools of thought it's not my uh, original uh, questions um, and i can link to them later if you like the Please second follow-up question is 
um, on a scale of one to 10, how important is that to you? And then on a scale of one to 10, how satisfied are you with how you're currently solving it? And as a founder, a CEO, somebody who's in charge of the product, when you sit down with users and you set the context, you ask them what's most important to them and they say your thing first or in the first three, and then what you offer, or when, they are, when you're asking about it, the specific job to be done is 10 out of 10 importance and two out of 10 satisfaction. That's real, or at least a strong indication that you're working in an area that will have really strong product market fit. And I think, you know, when I'm talking to new customers or talking to customers, I'm like, hey, tell me about the interviews you're doing. People just aren't doing enough of them. And I think, and not to say that people don't have product market fit, they have products, they have markets. That no, they I, know, I know where you're going with this. It's kind of like a healthy diet was working out. You can't have one without the other, right? So that's kind of yeah, what, the, what you mean by this whole product market fit and survey questions. It's like this duality of like, you know, are you scaling a process that works? Or are you like trying to do both at the same time? And if you're trying mm -hmm. to do both, if you don't know your clear objectives, you're kind of going to fail, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Chris Beal says it best, scaling up suck. I love that. <laughs> yeah. So how are you listening? I'm like, it, it, I love your response because it, it, it really tied together your experience running predictable revenue and as a product person and the product leader. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and, and if I'm hearing you correctly, the mistake that buyers make most common is it's, 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 they're often less looking internally at their product and looking out of what can you do for me versus like, I can do a lot of things for you, but what can you product do for your people? Right. And, and, and like, do you, do you, call it by a different name. Like we, we here at CloudTest Marketplace, like we're, we're starting to use this terminology called a market validation campaign, right? Which is not something you hear all the time, but we're trying, we're starting to be like, this is a market validation campaign. This is an ROI, return on sales campaign. They're different genetics. So mm -hmm. are you, are you, what is what you're really saying is that people don't really know the campaign they need and is that they, and that they lack the understanding of like, hey, you can hire a sales agency, you can hire the best critical revenue, but without mm -hmm. these ingredients, which it's hard to look in the mirror, right? Like, like people sometimes want to go from what they have to show people, but they're very less introspectively being like, well, are these fixing a problem? Is that people want to go too fast? Are they not educated on what a market validation campaign is? Or is it something bigger than that? Is it like something fundamental where like you'll hurt their feelings if you tell them the truth and, 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 and then you'll lose their business? Like. Uh, I mean, it, it's a scale, right? It's not one or the other. Um, I love the market validation piece. We've been doing that since 2019. Um, built some really cool stuff with email and auto classifying or auto categorizing uh, responses and building that to crazy reporting. So I love that. Um, my experience, and maybe yours is different the last couple of years. Uh, it's the, the market validation is the campaigns are the thing that people need, but the thing, but not the thing that they want to pay for and spend on. And almost everyone we did, they're like, yeah, but we did all this learning, but where are my meetings, right? Mm -hmm. And when you come down to, when I look at product market fit, there are a number of ways you can look at it. Um, there's like the have product market fit, but didn't tell the rev team, right? So like you've got a product, you got, you know, you're getting customers, mm -hmm. but you haven't fully done that trans, that knowledge transfer from the founding team, the product team to your rev team. And so we've worked with teams where they had a great product but their revenue team just wasn't given all the information they needed to understand the jobs to be done, the customers, exactly who they were serving. And the rev team was coming in blind. And, you know, it, it makes our job harder because, you know, there's only a certain window you have to impress a client. You know, you've got, you only get 90 days, you know, in the first 90 days. 
right? And like, that's the first impression. And everybody, especially now, they want to see signals. They want to see results. They want to see confidence, something that's going to give them confidence that this engagement is going to be profitable. Mm -hmm. And those first 90 days are super important. And if you're not starting with the perfect 100, 500, 1000 customers to reach out to, it doesn't matter do you, how good do you, the emails do you think, are, the calls are. Do you think there's value in why people didn't take meetings that people are often overlooked? Like they're so far on meeting, meeting, meeting that the actual information on why someone didn't take the meeting oftentimes in that early stage is more important than a meeting that goes nowhere. But they're so focused on this KPI that they're kind of blind to like, here's 20 people. 20, here's and like really mm -hmm. focusing on like, here's what why they didn't, you know, like almost as if like reasons why people didn't meet is worth two times a meeting because it's actually secret mm -hmm. information that's needed. Do you think that's it's like more of this like culture of just meeting, meeting, meeting and people come in thinking that that's the name of the game versus like you said before, where it's like a rejection, why they reject communication to sales ops, a win, why do they win communication to sales ops? Like it's like everyone's kind of like not really researching what, what it takes to build a program because, you know, I, when I first asked this question, it's like, what mistakes do the buyers make? But you also said something that stood out to me, which is like, I'm the best. And, and you probably are, which means that you probably, which means that you probably muscle your way through it. Right. I would admit, I, I would expect that companies have hired you. You've given them market validation, which they had no value for. They didn't care about, but they got it anyways. Cause that was step one. And you made meetings for them. And that was just how you guys won. But you know, is that what happened? Cause it sounds like it. <laughs> I, I mean, I, there's there's a lot to unpack there. Uh, obviously, kidding. I know there's I, I've got a ton of friends that have agencies and shops just like ours, and there's lots of good people in the space. And so I had just you got to use a sales podcast. You got to start off cocky, you know, uh, and be. No, like, I, I like it. I, I like it. And and frankly, I, I'd imagine you guys are great. I, I think you guys but, are awesome. So I. But let's I, go I just, down the rabbit hole, mm -hmm. uh, if you will, Alice. Let's go. Let's follow this path down into the customer. I'm all about, I'm customer all about rabbit holes. Yeah. Let's get the Cheshire, Cheshire cat, Cheshire. Uh, yeah. Anyway, uh, I, I think if you, if you, when you think about product market fit, the, uh, I wouldn't call it, it's not really a hot take, just a, a way I, I see it a little bit differently uh, getting to product market fit. Um, I think the first, I would argue the first million dollars in revenue is the job of the founder CEO. Um, and it is actually not a sales role to get to the first million. It's actually a product role. So you do all this customer development and which is, is effectively customer research. These are meetings, but they're not actually customers. They're not customers until they give you money. And so you're actually just interviewing random people. It's the, I think the conclusion of the product of the early product market fit or early product management process is that first million dollars. It is the, it is the tick at the end of the workflow diagram that says you have completed this and you'll have some form of revenue and some form of velocity coming out of it. And that's sort of the idea that product market fit is not binary. It's not zero, don't have it, one, have it. It exists. It's a direction, right? Like uh, yeah. you're, you're I mean, going towards that million in revenue, you're, you're getting, you know, your wins are higher, your losses are, are less losses type of thing. Like it's a direction, like a north. It, it, yeah. I mean, we did a, we ran a camp, a number of campaigns for about four or five months for a very large, very popular, very well-known startup in the call it transportation space. And uh, we were booking, they launched a major new initiative from like just driving people around to delivering food. And when they launched that, we, we helped them launch in every 
U.S. city in top 100 restaurants or something like that. Um, and we were booking like three, 400 meetings a month for them of one person. With one person uh, or four? One person. One. No, one off of one of my people, three, 400 meetings a month. I, I wrote the copy. I worked with Krista on the copy. Chris was our person. I could tell you that that one person, Krista is amazing. I, I know how to write email copy, but it was not 400 times better than everything else. It was their product market fit was the reason we were booking 400 meetings. We were just an amplification of that product market fit. Mm -hmm. And so you have strong product market fit, any sort of outside demand gen initiatives you're going to have are going to be a multiplier off of that. I think the point here is that like, yes, we, we were able to do this, but I'm pretty confident you could have plugged 70% of the people that knew how to write emails in at the time. And they probably would have generated similar results. Well, I got what you're saying. Like, like, like if I'm going around selling a portion of 11 Turbo S, which is hard to get your hands on, but now I'm selling for 30 K, I probably sell a million of them a day with an, with an email. Right. So like it does, it's totally. back to that, back to that mirror where like it takes two to tango. Right. Um, and I, I, I think we both know what happens in corporate America. Most of the companies that have product market fit pay the most and have the reps that don't even work. I've been one of those guys. So I've worked, <laughs> I've worked, I've worked my two days a week and had no pressure on me because I've had, you know, inbound meetings coming my way. I was got in trouble for prospecting at NetSuite. Um, mm. I looked bad. So this makes a lot of sense to me. What do you say to buyers that might come to, to want to hire you guys? Cause you guys are the best. You guys are doing a good job, but they're, they're focused on like making meetings over the results. Do, do you coach them in a way that, that helps them educate? Mm -hmm. Like, Hey, I'm not turning you down. I don't want to say no, I want to work with you. But if your you know, mind is not on the same goals as ours, you're going to churn, right? Ultimately. Totally. I mean, we are, our, our monthly bill is the denominator, right? And we want to make that top number as big as possible. And we know that there are certain windows that customers are looking to us for positive signals. When it comes to product market fit in a sales conversation, when you're early in the process and you're in, I'm sitting in the role of a salesperson, you know, you think about the opportunity to influence is probably not super high unless the, unless it's been a strong intro from somebody who's like, Hey, Colin knows his stuff or Amir knows their stuff. You know, your ability to sit and talk to somebody who has already decided that they're going in a direction is pretty low. Um, I, I've tried having this conversation and not as much recently. And so, and I'm not, I'm not saying this to throw like, Oh, everybody we've ever worked with or ever talked to is, uh, the reason we failed is product market fit. I'm confident that's not true. Um, I think when you have companies that are, that have so, the hardest part, the hardest problem to solve is a company that has sales. They have strong word of mouth. They have strong referrals from customers, but they've never been able to stack on an outside channel. An outside demand gen channel. They've tried outbound a couple of different times. They've tried this, they've tried that. And it's hard to say that they don't have product market fit because they have customers, they have a product or a service and they're selling something. Uh, but the when you kind of do the sales efficiency, it's really, 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 really low. And I would say that's typically a case of bad product market fit. You have a good product, you have a good market, but you don't have it quite in alignment. What about and bad product pricing? Piece. It, it could be pricing, but I, I think like... It's more, it's probably more strategic than that. Like I, I'll tell you when I started predictable revenue, when we started doing the outbound uh, building campaigns for people, I was like, I pivoted from doing this stupid CRM that nobody wanted to buy. It was just ugly and awful and sucked. And I was like, okay, I'll tell you what I'm going to, I was working at a small co-working space in Vancouver 
was like, I'm going to start doing this thing based on this book, Predictable Revenue. I'll do five interviews. Or I, I guess I was trying to book a whole bunch more. Um, and I said, I'll find, I'm not going to ask my engineers to write a single line of code until I find five paying customers. And I had five meetings and I came away from those five with seven customers because people went, what? You could, you could do that? And I was like, yeah, yeah. I'm doing it for myself. I just did this, 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 and this. They're like, no way. I don't believe it. And I show them. They're like, holy cow, that's crazy. Uh, my buddy Mac is like, okay, you, I'm going to introduce you to this person. I'm going to introduce you to this person. Um, and like my buddy James is like, so you, you want $500? What if I give you $10,000? I was like, you're, you're crazy. I, I have to do all this manually. I don't want to do it. But it was this feeling of like the market was coming towards me. That's the feeling of like extreme product market fit. And we've been, we've worked with some companies that are, they have a product, they have a product in market. And with a couple of just, you just kind of twist it just a little bit. Who you're, maybe it's who you're selling to. Maybe it's how you deliver. Maybe it's the brand. And all of a sudden the market starts coming towards you, right? And it's not always just an easy tweak, but the answer or the way you get there is a deep, deep, deep understanding of what pains, problems are top of mind and unsolved for your customers. The perfect example is a company called Whiteboard Geeks. Services businesses are traditionally hard to differentiate. Whiteboard Geeks, this was eight, nine years ago, and they were selling whiteboard videos. Everybody was selling whiteboard videos. Anybody that had a marker and a whiteboard was selling these nine years ago. They were struggling. They almost fired us. And I was like, hey, tell you what, give me, give me one more month. I think we might've given them a free month or pushed their billing back or done something like that. I was like, Lance, give us, give us a little bit of time. Uh, we'll figure this out. And what we ended up doing was niching down. And I can't remember the exact niche, but it was in the medical space. We said, okay, what we're going to do is like medical explainer videos as opposed to gener generic like marketing videos. Let's get very, very, very specific about who these videos are for. And it was some niche within there that suddenly once we were positioning it as like medical explainer videos, I can't remember if that was exactly it. I think we got a case study somewhere. Um, but once we found that wording and that positioning, it just unlocked everything. And it went from like this thing that wasn't working at all to, uh, I don't know how much we could share, but it's been a very profitable engagement for them over the last eight or nine years. That's great. Also, almost what you're saying, it, it, a lot of people don't know this kind of terminology about what they talk about, like, is your product or service a painkiller, a vitamin or a candy, right? Mm -hmm. Candy, nice to have, right? Vitamin, cool. Like, gonna, is it really working? Painkiller is really something that fixes a problem faster, cheaper, more efficient. And I think what you really just said is that you found you found the buyer persona for which that service was a painkiller. Mm. Is that kind of what I'm hearing? I don't want to put words in your mouth. Uh, yeah. If, to, to use those words, I think so. I think what we found was a large group of people that had unmet needs. And just by... Pain. by, but exactly. Can we call it pain? Okay. You can call it pain. You found the, yeah. you found the pain and you had the, you had the medicine for it, which is a whiteboard. And that's sweet. For that time and that space. I think through the two questions, right? The thing, pain that, not just pain, but pain that's top of mind for them, pain that is important and pain that is, they are unsatisfied with how they're currently solving it. Those are kind of the three. If I was to take pain and like zoom in to like, what is the formula for pain? It's those three things, 100%. top of mind, important and unsatisfied. Could you, could you almost solving. kind of fit it into like an awareness consideration decision based on that? Like, yeah. Okay. I'm HubSpot camp. See, so you're a Salesforce camp. So yeah. different, different terminology yeah, for the I'm, same thing. 
I'm, I'm voltage CRM camp, baby. That's my, that's my CRM. I don't even know what it, camp it was I terrible. am anymore. I'm everyone's camp. I have a marketplace, so I'm, I'm in all camps. I think. Honestly, I, I think, uh, I think Airtable is going to be the next like Salesforce. I think sooner or later, Salesforce is just a, it's a GUI, uh, graphical user interface, and eventually it's going to be Salesforce's business is going to be a whole lot less relevant because it's, it's basically just a front end visual click and dragger. But for SAP and Oracle. Same thing as Salesforce the last 20, 30 years. Same, but but I, they're also, I, we're also, you know, also at risk. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, it's like almost like the country of Saudi Arabia, man. They like, uh, no, it was uh, not Dubai. It was maybe Dubai where for one of those countries that like, actually used up all their oil and used it all, but invested it all and they're crushing mm -hmm. it. I think it's Dubai, Abu Dhabi, one of those places. Uh, anyways, cool. I like, I'm like, this, the answer makes sense. And anybody listening, it's really, the, the, the moral of the story for me, from my understanding and not putting words, uh, you know, words in your mouth is really understand your product, product market fit, who you're solving when working with an agency or selecting one, because they're there to accelerate repeatable outcomes, right? That's kind of what mm -hmm. I take away. Um, tell me about like your best fit customers. And I'm a, I know that you guys do services because we just talked about an eight year service. And I know you do software because you're a software guy, but imagine a world where you could only pick one services or software. Who are you going to pick? Oh, I mean, oh, do I want to resell services or software? No, like if you had a, like, like a, a for buyer, our customers. yeah, like for a buyer coming in, ready to hire you, like software, and you can only pick one. I know you do too. I know you do mm -hmm. both. Yeah. I mean, I think software has higher margins uh, and it's easier to go up market with the software. It's easier to, so services are faster to create a new service and to modify a new service. Um, but software, there's just more margin in it. And so you have more, there's a larger size, a larger set of customers like that you can make profitable on an engagement, right? Like it, it, say a software company is, it has a hundred thousand dollar annual contract value and a services company has a, the same, you know, that, that software margin could be 70, 80, 90%. Mm -hmm. Um, whereas the services margin 30%, 20, you know, 40, 50% if you're really, really good. And so it just, it's harder to make a services business. Uh, it's harder to, you have to close bigger deals. No, I like your it's answer. harder to differentiate. You, your answer is based on uh, on stats and statistics. And it's like more likely common that, that a software company has higher margins, more product market fit, it's just by nature, not always the case. And I know no. it, you get a service company, like when you mentioned, they're with you for eight, nine years, right? So it's like, you know, I just made you, I'm just trying to get you to pick, but I know that both services and software companies will be served well by you guys. Um, what about region? What's your I, I got a soft spot. I got a soft spot for services. I mean, products are, easier, are, are usually easier to sell, but I've, I've started a services business. I've bootstrapped a bunch of companies. I love working with bootstrap founders, right? I, I love working with like the product and the early rev teams and building those first sales teams and, and getting in there and like, okay, well, how can we use, how can we use the, what we know about outbound? Not, not to just like just build an outbound team, but like how to do so much more getting in, integrated into marketing and get it integrating into like the customer marketing and get it integrated into like the product, like growth stuff and, and like the enablement and bring it together all the I tools. Mean, what you say get it into, you're also talking about the feedback loop, right? Like that's kind of what you're talking about, like getting that feedback into the right hands, right? Because it's, it's, yeah, like, I mean, it's like a baton that's dropped sometimes or like the... He's no, no, not just out. the, not just the feedback loop, but like getting into support all the different individuals and in the different types of the different use cases in the organization, right? Like sales development as a sales development rep, you learn how to reach customers. It doesn't really matter the context or where the list came from. 
whether there's somebody that showed up on a marketing list, whether they're watching the stream right now. Um, there's just so much you can do with people like that. And so I, I like finding those use cases and working with the early founders and saying, okay, well, how are we going to build this? How are we going to design that? That's the, that's the fun stuff for me personally. Um, but yeah, I would say we do, we probably do more product work than we do services work just because the, it's more profitable. And so we tend to, there just tend to be more of those. Well, Kyle, this is going to be the first of many conversations that we're going to have with you because we're going to pick your brain so that we can help buyers. Um, so, so expect to be reaching back out for, for the next series. But anybody listening, if they are looking to outsource sales, looking to drive revenue and they want to connect with predictable revenue and they want to connect with you in particular, what's the best way that they can reach you? Where can they find you? My name at predictablerevenue.com. Check me out on LinkedIn. Uh, we just launched a field guide for surviving your first 90 days as an SDR. And so if you're an SDR listening and you're like, oh, I'm not going to buy anything from Colin, but I want your free advice. It's like a, I think it's almost a 90 page guide. Why didn't you send it to me? <laughs> I, I feel neglected. I, I think you made it past your 90 days there, Amir. <laughs> I, it's, I, I'm always reading and learning. I'd be sharing with people. Sure. I'll take your I'm guide and to. share it. Happy to share a link with you. My back. guy, that's my job now, man. I'm I'm, I'm to amplify the voice of the best people in the industry. So uh, I'm like I'm like your SDR undercover, the undercover SDR. Everybody for checking in, I appreciate you guys listening to this, the Transfer Sales Podcast, Colin. It's been a pleasure, and I'm going to pick your brain over and over again so that we can help people. Uh, anybody who's listening, I, I hope you guys took, had some good takeaways from this. And and Colin, man, I will let you go for the rest of your day. Have a good one, buddy. Thank you. Thanks, Mayor. Thanks, everybody. You got it. See ya.